All right, church, come on back together. No, we're good. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, we've been, um, Alex and Pastor Alex, everybody wave it. Turn and wait, say hi to Pastor Alex. Pastor Alex and his wife Pam pioneered this church a few years back. 1982. And then he was partnering with Gil's dad since 1984 because yeah. Gil said, if you say 1984, I'm going to feel old. So it was Gil's yeah. dad that he partnered yeah. with. Translation. And at that point, you guys were in the jungles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing story. Those are great stories. I'll, I love that. Pastor and so, and I, we partnered before that when we were roommates in uh, SoCal sharing the gospel at the Hunting Beach Pier on Saturday night, which was a dangerous place at that time. <laughs> Not like it is now with big hotels. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. So can you welcome Gil and Gloria this morning? Wow. So fun to stand here and look at your faces. Just know you guys for so long. Uh, just somebody said, are you a guest speaker today? I said, uh, no, I'm not a guest. <laughs> he said, okay, you're, you're a replacement speaker today. Yeah, that sounds better. Yeah, I'm sorry I don't show up more often at church. But my commute's long and so many flight cancellations. I just haven't been able to make it for two years. So <laughs> it's great to be here. As usual, what I want to do is just encourage you guys and help you see the big picture of missions because you guys, RCC, have been so solid and staying in there with us for so many years. And uh, it can be hard at times to see the progress. I know you, you stay with us because you believe there's progress. You trust that Gloria and I are, you know, doing what God wants us to do. You know good things are happening. You're doing all that by faith. So I'm not saying you need to have proof. I know you don't. But what I want to do is help you see the incredible progress that is being made. And, and when you see this, you should get excited because God has been so busy at work. It'll blow your mind. It blows my mind every day. So I have a global missions role. So I work with our partners from Seed Company internationally. Gloria works with them internationally. Because I'm also a research person and a strategy guy, I meet with a lot of partners to try to figure out how to improve their strategy so they can have better results. As of late, it's been really fun in my late stage of my mission service that I'm getting to work with all the new upstarts that God is raising up to do Bible translation. I'm working with a whole new crop of people, which we'll get into. But let's just start, you know, the idea that you see on television all the time here, all the people are not going to church. You see the you know, the surveys, uh, church, church attendance is down and people are leaving the faith. And uh, it's not necessarily true. Now, it's true in the United States that church growth isn't, you know, going through the roof. It's kind of remaining flat, actually. It's not, it's declining a little bit, but it's kind of remaining flat. Millennials now are actually going to church more than they have in the past, but they're doing it online. Uh, so surveys are showing that millennials are actually starting to engage now with church, but they feel safer online uh, for a variety of reasons, but they're, they're there. 
there's a lot of people who maybe not go into church tenants anymore, but they're still very strong in their faith. They're walking with God. They're serving God. So those statistics are really hard to understand. But I think it's true to say that there's not a big explosion in, in North America right now, that it's, it's, it's there. So you think, oh, well, you know, what's going on, God? Are we losing ground here? Well, I don't know what's going on here, but I can tell you in the rest of the world, we are not losing ground. God is gaining ground an unbelievable rate. Uh, he is still busy bringing people from every nation, language, and ethnic group into his kingdom right now. So let's look at a few slides just to uh, start off, and we'll just talk about uh, statistics of what's going on right now. So here's the global growth rate of Christianity in the world right now. So all religions are growing by about 1.27% a year. All religions are growing. There's no decline Christianity is growing about 1.17% per year. Uh, non-religious people who claim to be non-religious is about point, about a half a percentage. Atheism is just kind of stagnant at 8.18%. It's not a big thing. It never grows. It's just kind of, it's not a growing thing. People aren't deciding there's no God. People are still spiritually minded. They know there's some spiritual power out there uh, and you know, what degree it affects their life is different. So that doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Christianity is growing by 1.17% per year. That's about 300 million people a year are becoming believers. The population in the United States is 350 million people. So that's about the rate of most of the population in the United States are becoming believers every year. So that's actually huge. Islam is actually is growing very rapidly too, mostly through birth rate. So Christians don't have that many children. Uh, uh, Muslim people have a lot of children, so that religion's just growing based on, on birth rate alone. Uh, so here's up to date. Here's what's happened in the world since Jesus tasked his disciples to go out into the world and make disciples of all people. Uh, so the colors are, the darker the color, the higher percentage of Christian. But you can see on this world map that it's pretty well covered all over the world except for equatorial Africa has believers. It's not devoid of believers. Uh, Asia, South Asia, East Asia has a lot of believers. And so, you know, the church is there and that God's working through his church there. So the gray areas are really what the areas that have very few believers. And it's kind of ironic to me, but it shouldn't be, that North Africa and the Middle East is where the fewest believers are. And that's where the gospel started from. That's where the gospel came out of and spread through the whole earth. And now it's coming back to the place that it started as the last place for the gospel to reach. That excites me. That tells me what Jesus said to do, go to the uttermost part of the earth, has been done. And now the church is everywhere. Next slide, please. So this is a growth rate uh, in the number of languages that the Bible has been translated into. I mean... The growth rate is so fast that the curve is just straight up now. You can't even tell on the graph what's going on. Uh, the Bible is being translated. You know, where there's 7,300 languages in the world, and the Bible is being translated into every one of them. There's about 1,300 languages that don't have the Bible, but there's really small groups of about, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people, a few large ones. But Bible translation is going crazy right now, and, and it's shocking to me. Yeah, so as a result of all of this work, there's 90 million Bibles will be printed this year. Uh, that's up from 54 million Bibles in the year 2000. 
Is, is that growth? Unless people are just needing new Bibles? I don't think so. Reprints, some of that. Uh, that was 5 million a year, a year in 1900, and there's 90 million today. So, of course, the population is much larger. But the demand hasn't diminished. It's only increasing. So there's about 1.8 billion Bibles in circulation today. We know not all those Bibles are being used. Uh, some are on shelves. But uh, God's Word is out there, and it has blanketed the planet. If people pick it up and they want to know who God is, they can do it right there and then. They can know Him really well. So let me back up a little bit now. So in the 1980s when Gloria and I started working in Bible translation, Bible translation wasn't that popular of, of an activity. Uh, church planning was the really big thing. Evangelism was really big. Discipleship was really big. And Bible translation was just the work of linguistic nerds, you know. And that's what we wore when we showed up in Indonesia. We were just nerds with MAs, you know. And uh, we're here to do Bible translation, and that it's a, it is an academic pursuit. I mean, you have to know the language. You've got to make alphabets. You've got to exegete from the Greek. You've got to help translate. It is nerdy work, and it's why I love it. But it wasn't a big popular thing. When we showed up on the field, literally the missionary in the area we were going to work with, the people we were going to work with, he said, well, that's great that you Bible translation, but we do church planning here, and we do Bible schools here. And I'm going, well, do you have the Bible? You don't have the Bible in their language yet. How do you do church planning and discipleship? Well, we just teach them and, uh, in the Indonesian, but they speak Maya. They don't speak Indonesian very well. Okay, I was being a little disrespectful, but I was trying to help him think logically through his statement of why the Bible didn't seem that important. And then we heard the first sermons in our village that the Maya people gave, and we went, oh my gosh, they knew the Bible bad. You know, their sermons were like bizarre stuff. But nobody cared. And we just got into it. And lots of Wycliffe people like us went all over the world. And we did translation and uh, worked away. And, and a lot of Bible translations started to become finished, just quietly being finished all over the place. The dedications happening. God's word spreading quietly. And then 2010 hit. 2010 was the Luzon World Evangelism Conference in Cape Town, South Africa. And... I don't know why, but somehow the Bible, Bible translation became a huge deal there because everybody who walked up kept saying, we've planted all these churches, but nobody has Bibles. We've, got all, we've done this, but there's no spiritual depth. They started making list after list of issues, and by the end of that conference, there was this huge uh, uh, referendum of sorts, this huge mandate to let's get more Bible translation going. And after 2010, suddenly everybody started showing interest in Bible translation. And they started going out. And then Bible translation started to accelerate. I don't know why. It's just God's timing. You just said, now's the time. My word. The, Bible's, the word has gone out throughout the whole world, but it's shallow. And it needs to go deeper now. And it can only go deeper if people have God's word. They can dive into it, read it, grapple with it pray about it, the Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts on when they're reading a passage and things begin to change, right? So somebody told me the other day, well, you translate the Bible and people read it and what changes? Because when people engage with God's word, things are supposed to change, right? I mean, that was a true question they asked me the other day. It was so simple. I went, yeah, that's right. It's supposed to change and change began to happen. God started raising up way more people 
from all these cultural backgrounds. Uh, and if you see that, that map in that Middle East area, that was kind of light blue. That area, South Asia there, is going to be dark blue soon because the local church, which I'm going to get to in a second, has really gone on fire for getting all the rest of those languages have scripture translations in them. And suddenly it's going to start going darker blue because people are going to be in the word and they're going to share the word with their neighbor and their neighbors are going to get saved and churches are going to get planted. So I'm looking forward to that light blue becoming dark blue really soon. And as that dark blue goes darker, it's going to bleed into the gray because they're the neighbors. It's not going to be that people from the north uh, in the United States going way over there. We can't get into those gray areas at all, but their neighbors can. So it's like God's got this genius plan where he's raising up people all around, bordering those areas, and we call those near-culture people, where they know the culture, they know the religion, they have the religious background, and you're going to see that color. It's already starting to bleed in there. Right now, it's bleeding in in amazing ways. I, I talked about it two years ago, how it was bleeding in, and now it's really bleeding in. I guess the point I'm making is it's about God's presence. If God is not present in a place because there are no believers and no church, there's suffering. There's misery. There, I mean, people are humans, and they have this desire to live and to survive and thrive, but they're not. They're not thriving. They're not surviving. And we tend to forget that Satan, as Peter said, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. Satan is about destroying, devouring, ruining beauty, bringing suffering, bringing misery. That's what happens in these places where there is no light. Uh, I work with three organizations in South Asia, and I know the backstories there. Uh, terrible unhappiness. People have no hope. Literally, they don't even know what hope is. They don't even think about it. All they do is struggle day to day to stay alive. That's it. Struggle day to day to stay alive. They have to do terrible things to stay alive sometimes, like sell their little daughters off because they can't afford them and somebody's going to buy the daughters and uh, other things happen. Uh, there's a group there that's told, well, let me back up. They got into a literacy class. And the literacy class were done by a group of believers, a local believers. And in the literacy class, they were learning how to read and write. And they were learning how to do business. And they, they also got into the Word. And many of them, 40, 50% of them become believers. And uh, they start, they change. They, everything changes in them. Suddenly, they have an identity in Christ. And they go, no, this is real. They have an identity in Christ. Their self-image changes from I'm a cockroach to I'm a child of God. That kind of changes your perspective on life. Why would they think they're a cockroach? Because they were told, yeah, you're, you must have done something really bad in the last life because you reincarnated as this lowly person. And they were doing literacy work, and some of the higher uh, level, higher caste people were telling the workers, why are you helping those people? Don't do that. You're wasting your time. They deserve what they get. Just leave them in that state. And they're actually telling them you shouldn't be helping them out of that state. They deserve it. I don't know how more destitute you could be as a human being to be in that state. But they get the gospel. They start to change. They start to understand who they are in Christ. And weird things happen. 
They start having dignity and self-respect. And they start treating themselves differently. They start loving themselves, actually. And then they start taking care of their children. And their children are on, on the street anymore. They're going to school. And then they do something else that I always thought was kind of a Western thing. So I didn't talk about it much, you know. Suddenly their homes are really clean. Uh, they're sweeping their homes. And, they're keep, and their children are clean and dressed nice. And uh, they're beautifying their homes. And I always thought, well, I don't want to say that because that's just a Western value. We like to, you know. Then I, I realized, no, it's not a Western value. It's, it's a beauty. Suddenly, they're understanding beauty and they're craving beauty. Because beauty is what we had in Eden and we lost it. So they're craving. Something is waking up in their minds and they're going like, I, got, I need beauty. I've I got to be clean. I, I've got to have, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to. There's just something different. This, this Eden that we had is so lost in these people that they don't even realize that they don't even desire beauty. That's how far they are from Eden. When they get back to God, they are in Christ, they discover Eden again. And now they want that. And they're changing it. And, and they're beautifying. And then their neighbors see them beautifying things. And they're going, why, why are you doing all this? And then they share with them why they're doing it. They said, well, I, I took a literacy class and I came out and this is what I am now. <laughs> and there's a thousand people lined up to take the literacy class now. That literacy class, you know, is just helping them getting practical help. It's the gospel that changed them. And then recently one group were attacked. The literacy class was attacked by some militants because they didn't like seeing the change that was happening in those people. They literally attacked, beat up the teachers, scattered everything. You know, Satan hated seeing humans developing dignity and craving beauty again because that's what he's been trying to destroy since you know, he fell to earth. So you see that replicated over and over again and more and more people start craving that and then they get into God's word because now the Bible's translated into their language and they start telling their kids and their parents and their husbands or their spouses or, or, or vice versa about it. They become believers. And then they start sharing the gospel with their neighbors. And they become believers. And then those people start having uh, joy and then wanting to beautify things and starting to think about all the possibilities and the actions they start taking. So just to answer the question of that person who asked me earlier this week, what, what changes? That's what changes. God's word comes alive in them, and he's restoring them to what he meant them to be. His children of God who get to love him, know him, walk with him, enjoy beauty, uh, progress, hope, uh, you know, be creative. Everything that's in us is, you know, whether we're believers or not, God is placed in there as we're, you know, we're in his image in terms of all the, every, all the creativity and love and, and that he has, we have in us too. And it's so locked down in people. Every human being has a capability, but it's so locked down in them, they don't even know it's there. So Satan, you know, he's feeling pretty successful because of that. So, go back a little bit. Gloria and I have been in the parachurch movement, the agency period of Bible translation. That was about, you know, 200 years <laughs> Modern missions isn't that long. It's not old. It's about 230 years old. You know, when William Carey, who was a Baptist in England, and, mission, and churches, believe it or not, 
were not evangelizing the world at that time. They were just denominational churches started and people were just kind of inwardly focused. And William Carey's kind of got upset about that. He's going like, well, what about the people over in India? I guess, I don't know. He said, well, God will sort all that out. <laughs> you know, he's going like, I don't see that in my Bible. And he got upset and he went over there and he became a missionary and he started Bible translation right away. And that was the birth of the modern period. Right? So 200 years, it was launched by uh, individuals, uh, volunteers, and funded by major donors. That's who launched the mission. It wasn't an official church. It, it just wasn't. So that went on for 200 years, and Gloria and I are the late part of that movement. So it was the Bible, it was agencies, like Wycliffe is not a denomination, it's just an agency that sends volunteers out to do Bible translation, and there's many of them, and that's what we've been doing for so long. And now, all of a sudden, I'm, I look behind me, and that age is coming to an end very rapidly. My age of the, Bible, of the uh, agency translation is coming to an end. So we're going like, because these people aren't, joining Wycliffe anymore. We're the last of that generation. Uh, there's just nobody behind us. So we're going like, whoa, what's going to happen? There's still a lot of work ahead. Then a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I started working with a, a group from South Asia. And uh, in fact, the leader of that per person was staying at my house uh, overnight down in Orange County. Uh, somebody had asked me to host him, so I did. And then I was talking to him one night, and he's like a, a serious, prominent church planner leader in that country. And I asked him what he was up to and on his computer, and he said, well, we're, we're thinking about getting into Bible translation. And then he looked at me like, <laughs> kind of flinched. Is that, is that okay? Because that's not unusual for him to flinch, because the agencies thought we're all the experts, and you guys aren't. So leave the word work to the experts. So he's a major church leader. And I looked at him, I said, that is fantastic. Let's tell me more. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? He's going, well, we're kind of figuring it out. I said, well, don't do it the way we did it. <laughs> because this is a different time. You're different people, and you're the church. So I, I ended up uh, advising him and walking with him for about four years on that as they grew. And I had to protect him from the status quo who kept trying to tell him, stop doing translation. That's not your work. It's, that's our job. Uh, fast forward now. They are training, at this time, 150 translators. They've translated New Testament in 10 to 15 languages already. They're doing Old Testament work now. They're growing exponentially like that curve in Bible translation. Uh, and it's all the church. All the translations are local churches who are saying, we're going to take ownership of this. We're not going to wait for an agency to send somebody. We need it. We need it now. And they're starting to do it. And now that group is growing so fast. It's like I did an introduction to Bible translation over Zoom, I think last year for them. And there was like 150 translators showed up on the Zoom call. And they were so organized. And they, had, they even had chat rooms and breakout groups. <laughs> and I was moving around through all the breakout groups and seeing how everybody's interacting. And now they're expanding into other countries right around them. So the growth there is huge. They don't need Westerners to come in and do it. They're totally capable, but because they're doing it as a church, they're bringing in way more re human resources than we ever brought to bear. Because when Gloria and I did it, it was just two experts sitting in a village working with some people and learning the language and translating. Now they're bringing in, they've got pastors, they've got you know seminary graduates, they've got people who understand theology, they've got people who can do exegesis from the Greek, and they've got huge teams, and they're doing their translations like a New Testament in one to two years at a time. They're just like... 
And then uh, we brought some outsiders in at the time that they were ready for it to just evaluate it, you know, to consultants. And the, these are uh, American consultants. And when they came back, they said, those are some of the best translations we've ever checked. And they went in there going, these are going to be terrible because they did them in two years or one year. <laughs> they can't be very good. And they came back and said, these are excellent. See, so suddenly the church is really growing. So that's this thing called the church, church-based Bible translation movement is growing now at a really crazy pace. And now it always shocks people when I say, this is amazing. The church is doing Bible translation now. The, the established church, you know, the organized church. And people go, well, haven't the church always been doing it? No, they haven't. They relegated that to volunteers for 230 years. And... Uh, now that area that we that has to be finished the light blue and the gray areas the agencies can't go there we can't work there they can that's where they're at that's their home and that's their neighbor so all of a sudden yeah i'm going like oh my gosh god is raising up the church his church in the end to finish this task once and for all think about that that gives me goosebumps now it's not just there southeast asia countries where we, you can't get into. Churches are doing Bible translation there. They're doing it in North Africa. Now, we're going, okay, that's great. This is fantastic. It's going to go so fast. But what about those groups in the really hard Middle Eastern countries? They have huge populations and five believers or something. How, how do you have the church? There's no church. How are you going to reach them? And that's a great question. I've been working with another organization for several years now, and then last year, they are not a, they're a funding organization, by the way, but very serious funders, and they fund at a very high level, and they've been very interested in the hardest, the last mile places, they call them, those gray, those gray areas. That's where their interest is. And uh, they got frustrated, too. They were going like, Come on, seed company, you guys are the innovators. What are you going to do to get the scriptures into these places? You know, we're going like, uh, we don't know. <laughs> it's, like, it's embarrassing because, you know, seed company was the big innovator organization. And now we're, we're kind of like, oh, we don't have any. We don't know what to do. And they decided to do something. They uh, did some crazy experiment, experimental things that, again, I was excited about because I'm just an experimenter anyway. Uh, they hired their own translators and didn't matter whether they're Christians or not because there wasn't enough Christians to do translation. So they went out and found professional translators from these language groups. These are people who are professionals and asked them uh, if they'd be willing to translate you know, the Bible. <laughs> and they'll be paid for it and paid well. And they said, oh, yeah, we'd love to. And uh, because they're professionals and they have tools like artificial intelligence and they use neural learning engines and everything in their trade, they can, take this, they can crank out the translation. And then they went around and they tried to find, are there any believers in this group? And they found several of them, but they're all in the United States. <laughs> but they still speak that language. But some of them are pastors, they're theologians, they're professionals, and they know the word. They're very strong in the word. He, they found those people, and they said, would you be able to, willing to review the work that these people are doing? Because you're native speakers, they're native speakers, but they're not believers, you are. And we trust they have integrity in doing translation, but you need to confirm it. So they, said, they got excited. Oh, my gosh, you're doing translation in our language? So sure, we'll help. So they're 
reviewing all that stuff, fixing things, sending it back. That goes into the AI machine. The AI machine learns it, spits out a better draft. They fix it, goes back. It's kind of an iterative process. The machine gets smarter and smarter to the point where the machine now can spit out translation of their language at about a 90% accuracy rate. And uh, so they are going to finish a whole Bible in two years in that language with great quality. And no believers are on the ground. I'm going like, wow, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, but I'm always embarrassed when, you know, I'm supposed to be the innovator and somebody who's not even in Bible translation comes up with a great idea. I'm going like, that's fantastic. But of course, you know, God's going, God's going to meet the need there. But then at this conference I was at where they're rolling this out for the bigger, you know, bravely rolling this out to report to the bigger uh, missions audience or community. Afterward, one guy came up to me and he goes, Gail, wait a minute, you, that's not how you do Bible translation. You've got to have a, establish a church first and you've got to get lots of believers and then you've got to, you know, disciple them and then you've got to teach them the Bible and then they've got to, you know, become mature in the Word and then they've got to request the translation. You can't force it on them. And then you've got to train them to become translators so that they're really good translators and they'll do really good work and because they feel ownership, they'll use the Scriptures and they'll share it with others and uh, that's how you do it, Right? And I go, how long has that taken in the past? Yeah, 20 years. <laughs> it's like, no. This person's saying, we can't wait that long. Just get it out there, and God's going to use it. And I believe that, especially in these cultures where a book is, a holy book is important. And I was told by professionals that, researchers that, you know, in the Islamic world, God just speaks to people in dreams, and they, they believe dreams. Dreams happen. They're real. God, God calls and directs people that way. But they told me that when there's a Bible translated in their language, the dreams stop. He stops speaking to them in dreams. And, the, and they, uh, the Bible just starts getting spread. And if he does speak to them, he just tells them to seek the book. Go find the book. Go find a, a believer friend. Go find somebody. But the Bible kind of replaces dreams. It becomes the thing you go to. And that starts directing your life. And uh, so it's a very different part of the world. But now I'm not going to mention all the countries because it's so sensitive. But just picture all the countries in that area uh, have translation starting. And this group has targeted 32 of those languages to, and get them all done in the next four years or so at, at about, you know, one-tenth of the cost of what it would normally be. So you got the church over here just going crazy, <laughs> starting translations everywhere. You got these... Mad scientist funders <laughs> are coming up with great ideas, and that's going to change fast. So that just and then the the ones that the traditional organizations are doing are working with those small groups that are very open to the scriptures and really want it. So you know those small groups aren't going to be left behind; that they're going to get scriptures now. So suddenly it used to be just one front of nerds, <laughs> and then it became a large group, and then it became now it's the church. And now it's, it's everybody. So I work with uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. I work with their, their career missionaries. They decided we got to help do a Bible translation too. And uh, a lot of translations you start today are oral translations. You start with oral scriptures because people are oral societies. They don't read that much. They are committed to starting a thousand languages in these small groups. And they've already started 60 translation projects. 
And then even uh, Campus Crusade, my friends there were going like, we want to get in Bible translation too. It's like everybody wants to jump on the Bible translation bandwagon. Everybody wants to be involved, which still shocks me, thinking about our early days. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's doing it. So that just tells me one thing. God is going to finish this, get his word out everywhere. So it's exponential growth. Just picture that fast exponential growth so maybe next year when I'm here it might be done who knows uh, then we can all go play golf <laughs> so but one last thing though everybody gets the Bible everybody gets changed everybody is is having joy they're starting to flourish uh, and they know their salvation sealed they're gonna be with God for eternity there's so much hope all around now and that's what happens when you become a believer. You gain all that. But there's something way more beyond that. So you almost have to say, okay, great, good. Now, there's something else you got to do. <laughs> Ephesians 2.10 said, we're created in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So now, God doesn't linger long with granting salvation and filling us with joy. <laughs> he goes, great, I'm so happy you're good. Hey, I got a job for you over here. <laughs> Oh, you, come here, i got to talk to you. See those people over there? See, now, these all believers, and especially the new believers, are supposed to be at work doing what Jesus is doing, restoring all things to Christ. All of creation is being brought back to Christ. And when Jesus established his kingdom and then went off to heaven for a while, he left us to continue that work. So the kingdom is present, and the kingdom is growing and the kingdom just means God's presence is there. God's rule is there. And we're part of his kingdom. So the, our, his rule is there. We're helping him. So restoration has begun. All things are being changed now, not later. So we tend to forget that uh, we got to hurry up and get to work because there's that one, I can't remember the Bible verse, but it says, what is it? Uh, you know, the master left and everybody was kind of being lazy and not busy. And he came back and he said, what are you doing? That's my paraphrase. I'm a translator. Do you think I could do better than that? <laughs> you know, he expects us to be busy right now. He wants to see people flourishing. He wants to see uh, worlds improving. He wants to see beauty return. Why? Because we lost Eden when mankind and womankind rebelled and left, kicked out. We lost Eden. What was Eden? It was presence with God incredible alone just to be presence with God there was amazing beauty there was safety and security there was abundance there was purpose there was joy there was work Eden was and is an amazing place and we lost that but it's always been inside of us and people have been trying to get that back so hard and that's why I planted this incredible jungle backyard I have with, you know, I go into this beauty because I crave beauty. I have to have it. There's, that's in us. So I think Jesus wants us to keep working in our communities, with our neighbors, with our friends, introducing this notion of flourishing in the cities, in the countries, wherever, where people start to realize they crave beauty, beautifying, restoring all things in Jesus, of course, not just a humanist thing. And then when Jesus returns, it's fulfilled. It's done. And the new Jerusalem descends. And suddenly we've regained everything we lost in Eden and we're living with God again. That's what we're all working towards. 
In the meantime, you've heard this phrase, the now but the not yet kind of thing. It's now. It started now. Restoration has started now. And our job is to keep that going as believers, being a testimony and a witness to Christ, not just in preaching the gospel, but living it out in front of people and showing justice and mercy, as Micah says. That's our job in the church. And if the believers all over the world are doing that, and if more, if 300 million new believers are are coming on the scene and they're doing that, I really believe that God already wants to start blessing people now. He wants to start giving them that taste of Eden now. That, I think, is why the gospel is so important. You don't just get salvation. You begin to understand who you are now, what your purpose is now, and ultimately where you'll be later. That's why we live, and that's why we do translation. That's why we obey Christ. And in the end, we'll be in Eden again. And it's going to be beautiful. We're going to have joy. We're going to be with God. We'll have things to do. We'll never be bored. <laughs> Believe me. Uh, it's going to be amazing. That's what we're working for. So to me, in my, this stage of my life, maybe because I'm getting old and I'm looking forward to that more now, <laughs> uh, that's the ultimate role of uh, work of Bible translation is that, getting back to that, starting now but having it in the end. So... Again, things are happening so fast, I don't know, maybe next year, year after, I'm going to come back and say, well, there's almost no languages without God's word anymore, and those, yeah, those blue areas are way darker now, and the gray areas are now becoming blue. Uh, so we're almost done. God's almost done with what he's going to do. So thank you for your time this morning, and I hope this has been an encouraging word for you. Thank you. Thank you. So good, church. Hey, can you stand with me? I want us to pray for Gil and Gloria. Apparently, he wants to get on the golf course. So, <laughs> I didn't know you golfed. Do you golf? Okay. Okay. So, no, he doesn't really golf. So, um, so can we pray? Can you extend your hands? Maybe even a couple of you are just right around there. Can you just put your hands on their shoulders? And this is an important work. The the word that. This really stands out to me is that people crave beauty. Man, that's such a good word. I want you to capture that. The people around you, in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, in your workplaces, there's a longing um, for beauty. And we, we see the only one, and we know the only one that can bring that, and that's Jesus. And so we just lift our our brothers and sisters, up to you this morning, Lord, as they continue to do the good work of translation and caring for people, uh, encouraging people. Um, Lord, we just pray that they'd be big cheerleaders for those who are doing the work around the world. And Lord, we do pray in Jesus' name for those gray areas that you would turn them blue, God, that many, many would come to know you. And Lord, we pray that in our own country, in this place, God, that where you have us now, God, would, would we be more blue? God, that we would know you, that we'd have passion. God, that we would crave beauty again. God, that we would desire to be in that holy book. Lord, that you would change us as we read. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, change us, Lord. In your name, amen. It's a great Sunday this morning. I pray that you enjoy it. Get out there and, uh, yeah, enjoy the sunshine today, would you?